Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, where each week we have a conversation about the scriptures and about what's going on in our world. My name is Christopher Vaughn. I'm one of the pastors here, joined this morning by Pastor Laura Bird and Carol Petridis. Um, And we are really, really excited because we are talking this morning about homecoming. And in the midst of homecoming, what we're talking about is um, not so much a homecoming in terms of a physical homecoming, where you go to a home, but it is a homecoming of self, of how you find yourself, how you find your true self in the midst of all that sometimes the world tells you that you should be, or sometimes the things that we tell ourselves we should be like as well. How do we find our true selves, who God has called us to be. Um, And we are looking at a very interesting passage of Scripture this morning. Um, And if you're wondering why it's interesting, well, I'm just going to have Carol read it um, so that we can dive straight into it this morning. So Carol, will you read our Scripture for us? I will. So we are in the book of Judges. It's not often that um, you hear sermons or conversations around Judges. So we're in chapter 11, verses 4 through 11, and then 26 through 39. So here we go. After a time, the Ammonites made war against Israel. And when the Ammonites made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, come and be our commander so that we may fight with the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, are you not the very ones who rejected me and drove me out of my father's house? So why do you come to me now when you are in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, Nevertheless, we have now turned back to you, so that you may go with us and fight with the Ammonites, and become head over us, over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight with the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them over to me, I will be your head. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be witness between us. We will surely do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all of his words before the Lord of Mizpah. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Mansah. He passed on to Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whoever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return, victorious from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's to be offered up by me as a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He inflicted a massive defeat on them from Or to the neighborhood of Mineth, 20 towns, and as far as abel Karam. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. Then Jephthah came to his home at Nizpah, and there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and with dancing. She was his only child. He had no son or daughter except her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You have come because of the great trouble to me. For I have opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. She said to him, My father, if you have opened your mouth to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, now that the Lord has given you vengeance against your enemies, the Ammonites." And she said to her father, let things be done to me for me. Grant me two months so I may go and wonder. So Carol prefaced the reading, right, by saying we don't often read from the book of Judges. 
Um, and maybe now you know a little bit why, right? Um, part of it is the, the book of Judges is one of the most violent and bloody books in all of the Bible. Um, and this may excite certain teenage readers, right? um, but for some of us, it's, it's off-putting. And I think it's off-putting for most people as you read through the book of Judges. Um, aren't these the kind of stories that motivate religious violence, right? Aren't these the kind of um, stories that um, show ancient heroes who should be doing the things that God tells them to do? Um, and what can we learn from this in 2022? I think that's one of the questions. Um, and I think the... the the challenge with this is, and one of the reasons we don't read the book of Judges often, right, is it's not a children's tale. It, these are not the stories that I read Benjamin and Hattie and Audrey to sleep with at night, okay? Um, and the, the, the challenge then, I keep saying the challenge because it's a challenging scripture, um, is what do we do with it? Um, so I guess the, the question I want to open us up with this morning is, um, why do we have this story in the Bible at all? What do we, what do we think we can learn from it? Because it is challenging. Um, and so what, what, what do we think we can grasp from it here in 2022? What do we learn from this scripture? Well, I think, I mean, just kind of breaking it down a little bit to help us understand what happened could be, could be helpful for me, at least that's what I had to do when I was looking at it, is, you know, that these elders of Israel came to, uh, and I'm preaching on this in modern, and I'm, I'm calling him Jay because Jephthah is, is kind of a <laughs> mouthful for me. So I'm going to go with Jay if that's okay with y'all. Um, that's okay because I keep wanting to call him Jay-Peth. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I'm, Just, I'm, 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 I'm know, good with Jay. Not like a John or a Ben or anything. Um, apparently they didn't have those in ancient Israel. Um, so these Israel, ancient Israelites were like fearing for their life. They were scared because people were like breathing down their necks. They knew they were going to be conquered in war. And they had to find some sort of hero, some sort of judge to help them. And so they go to Jay and they're like, hey, bro, um, we need your help. And of course, Jay's like, uh, I tried to be your leader before and you rejected me, which I feel <laughs> maybe it's just because I'm in the dating world. But it's very much like when a, when, when a guy rejects you and then or a person and then comes back and like, but I'm here now. You want to go on a date? It's like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> and they, that's kind of what they did. They were like, would you please help us not get killed? And Jay was like, no, I'm not really that interested. But you know what? If you make me your leader afterwards, it's cool. we're cool. So he accepts. And um, then it says in the text, the spirit of the Lord came upon him, which is like Bible code for God had already given him the victory. God was like, all right, Jay, you win. I got you. But what do you do instead after? He made a promise that he should have never made yeah. or made a vow that he never yeah. should have and, made. And didn't have to make. And right? he, ran, Absolutely. he ran his mouth. You know what I mean? Like, God was like, all right, Jay, I got you. We got this. And then he ran his mouth like, yes, God, and I will do whatever you want. And I will, you know, make an offering of whatever comes out of my house. And I'm, I'm just kind of thinking God's going, shut up. You know, I already gave it to you. What are you doing? And, uh, and then we, he goes, he's victorious, wins the war like we knew he would. 
and then he comes back home, what happens? Out comes his sweet little daughter with her curly hair. <laughs> she has curly hair. <laughs> it says something about the tendril. So I just oh, imagine. That's true. I have a little daughter with curly hair. Yeah, so yeah, I just yeah. imagine the sweet <laughs> like, little daughter. Show me the chapter and it verse. It says like her tendrils or <laughs> that's something. That's true. That's true. It does. It does. I mean, maybe I'm reading it. Okay. But I see this sweet little girl coming out of, of his house. The, the thing that he has promised to slaughter ends yeah. up being his, his baby, his only, his only yeah. child. Well, and I think this, this goes back to the first question. What do we learn from this? And I think so often the challenge is when we read these stories, we try to redeem them right, mm. in some way. And in reality, what's happening here is very simple. Um, this section of the book is not a moral story. There's no morality here. I think often when we read the Bible, we think, okay, well, this is a behavior manual mm-hmm. that was dropped off by God um, and we read it, and it's supposed to tell us, like, what we're supposed to be like, who we're supposed to behave like. And yet, in the book of Judges and several other books of the Bible, these characters are designed to show us humanity at yeah. its worst. Right? Um, In many ways, it reminds me of, y'all know this, the show Game of Thrones? I know it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> it is very violent, very similar <laughs> to Judges. And it reminds me of it because the author of Game of Thrones is very intentional about saying even the good guys mess up. Like, it's not good versus bad, like Superman versus whoever Superman's enemy is, Lex Luthor, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's not clear cut, it's, it's humans making decisions and a lot of times they're not good decisions. Yeah. And not they're supposed human. to be. And that's, that's the book of Judges in a nutshell, yeah. right? It is, when we read it, um, and I think even unconsciously, people try to, um, justify this concept and this behavior that's happening in the Bible. Um, and we, we read it in Genesis, right? It was, well, Jacob steals from his brother. Well, he had a good reason for that. Mm-hmm. No, he, no, he didn't. Now, we can read that story and we know, right, that it's downright horrible. Um, Samson is a great example of this, right? If we were to poll the room this morning for those who grew up in church, we're like, tell us about Samson. And you'd be like, oh, well, he's like the Bible's Captain America, Right? It kind of is, um, yeah. And he's got the golden flowing hair. And he's a, when you read the book of Judges and you go and sample through who Samson actually was and how Samson actually behaved, you're like, and we tell this story <laughs> to children, right? Um, because we, he's portrayed as this divine Captain America who is given great power to go and conquer Israel's enemies in the name of their God. And he's really this very flawed human being. And so if we read the book of Judges as if it is some moral example. We miss the point of the book. Mm -hmm. The book of Judges especially is meant to show us and communicate to us through the narratives of the judges um, that we're not supposed to be like Yud and Gideon and Jay, right? Um, We're not supposed to aspire to be like them. These are characters that have their bright moments, Mm -hmm. but mostly like your Game of Thrones example, um, they have these tragic stories. And they make bad choices. Um, and that's what they are. The book of Judges as a whole is actually tragic literature. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be read that way. And we used to have storytelling that was like that. And yet now, in our Western tradition, we always have a happy ending. One of the things that Benjamin is very fond of telling Hattie when we are watching movies is she'll start to panic and he'll be like, it's a Disney movie. Oh. So we know everything's going to be okay in the end. And that's what we want often out of these biblical stories. And yet, some of us grew up with the Godfather trilogy, 
okay? Um, if you haven't seen the Godfather trilogy, I'm not going to recommend it as your pastor. Um, <laughs> but it, it doesn't have a happy mm-hmm. ending. It shows the consequences of if we continue to live in a, such a way where we're making poor choices, mm-hmm. it spirals. That's what the book of Judges shows us. From the very beginning all the way to the end, we watch Israel spiral. Mm-hmm. And I think we see it come to head in Japheth, who fundamentally doesn't understand God. And because he doesn't fundamentally understand God, he makes a vow, then keeps a vow that God's already pushed against, right? There is no child sacrifice in the Israelite culture, and yet he makes this vow and follows through with it. And I think that's part of the interesting thing in the book is because he doesn't understand who God is, mm-hmm. he makes a choice that God would never make. And I think the, what we see throughout is you look at all of the different judges, except for Deborah. I think Deborah actually really gets it. But, um, <laughs> Deborah is, is faithful and she makes very different choices. She makes some violent choices that I don't agree with, but she makes very different choices in the midst of that. But we watch the judges spiral. Mm-hmm. And as the judges spiral, Israel itself spirals. Mm-hmm. And we get this preface in the very beginning of the book of Judges that's like, okay, Israel is going against God. Yeah. And all of the judges at some point do something that's so far from who God is that you go, how did you do that? Mm-hmm. I think we did the same thing. So I guess um, what I'm wondering is when we see the character of Japheth, and and Laura, you did a lot of exegesis on on Jay this week. How do you think he and Israel got to this point, given what we know of the the book of Judges and his character in total, Mm -hmm. where he knows God's with him? Yeah. He gets this thing, and then he still gets to a point where because of who he is and his backstory, he goes, okay, but I want to look cool too. Mm-hmm. I want to look yeah. cool, yeah. Right? Like, how, did, how yeah. does he get here? Well, I, I think you're really wise to point out that um, we have to look at this book as a book and not as just a story. A lot of times we, we just kind of lift stories out of the Bible and we forget where they're placed and what their meaning is. And Christopher is kind of showing us the arch of this book in our scripture library um, and how this story fits within the book of Judges and that these judges, their morality just like keeps sliding. They keep getting farther and farther away from God's character, God's heart. And they had made, um, we're familiar with this covenant called the Ten Commandments. They'd made that at the very beginning of their relationship with God. And then they kind of continued on in their relationship with God and made um, these Deuteronomic, let's see if I can say it right, um, Deuteronomic law, which is basically like the way they need to act in the world. So the way they do criminal law, punish criminals or give mercy to criminals, the way they act in war, uh, the way they do rituals and purify themselves. God had passed down all these kind of codes, these laws to them, so they would under kind of have a framework of morality that they followed, um, a fence per se of where where your morals should be, um, and. They just kept getting farther and farther outside that fence to where they can't even see it anymore. And Jay is a really good example of this. He had gotten so far away from the heart of God, from who God is, from knowing God, 
that he made, he said these foolish words yeah. and doesn't really seem to understand the consequences of his words because all he cares about is, like you said, looking cool, looking like he's the hero, like he won, not like God gave him the victory already. Yeah. And I think we often do that with ourselves. God has literally given us victory already, has given us hope over our lives, has, has given us the power to make choices that are going to make us more healthy. And instead, we choose to go outside the fence of these kind of uh, morality, and we pay the consequences. Not because we're evil or sinful, but because we've gotten farther away from the character of God. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, I think that's interesting what you're saying, though, because a lot of times it does come from this sort of boastful place, like we were talking about with Jephthah, it wasn't necessary. And I can speak for myself personally that there have been times when I have committed to things or done things that weren't necessary in order to maybe make other people think something about me or um, just to prove something to myself, again, that was unnecessary. So I, I do think that this has something to do with our modern day lives. And maybe some of you can relate. It can be as simple as something where you just overbook yourself. You agree to be room mom. You agree to be in the PTA. You agree to be a mops table leader. You agree to do all of these things. <laughs> Nothing to do with your life. I'm not speaking of anybody in particular. <laughs> but you do all of these things and they're unnecessary. And, and I don't, again, getting away from the heart of God, I don't think that that's what God asks us to do. God doesn't need us to prove anything to anybody else Oof. by... Girl, um, you're speaking to my heart. Yeah, by how much we do. Are you do. sure? I mean, <laughs> I think, but remind me again next time I sign up for something. But I, I think that this is something that we can relate to here. Saying something oh, yeah. or committing to something that's unnecessary to do. Because if he had just not said this thing about his daughter, then he wouldn't have had to, I mean, he never had to do it. He also could have afterwards. I think this is something we talked about later. Been like, I am so sorry, God. I, I, it, there could have been a... I screwed a, up. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, there could have been a place of humility that came well, out of that. And for us as the readers, that's what we're expecting. Right. Right. When you read his story, he is a great bargainer. He bargains all the time, right, with everybody he meets. And so the expectation is when his daughter comes running to him, and now is the time to pay the piper, so to speak. We expect him, given his history, given what we've seen, given the way that he bargained with the Israelite tribes, given the way that he's bargained with God in the past, like we're expecting kind of an Abraham sequence, right? Where Abraham's like, okay, God, like I know you said you were going to destroy this city. But like what if there's like 50 good people? And God's like, okay, fine. If there's 50 good people, I won't destroy the city. And then Abraham's like, okay, but like what about 30? And God's like, okay, fine, if there's 30. And then Abraham's like, okay, but like, what about, what about 20? And God's like, fine, 20. And finally, Abraham bargains down and he's like, okay, but like, what if there's one? And God's like, fine, go get Lot out of there, right? And then I'm going to destroy the city, right? We're expecting an Abraham-style bargaining to happen, mm. right? This is my only daughter. This is the one that I love. Surely when I made this vow, God, you didn't intend for this to happen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen. And part of that is Japheth has been on this moral slide Mm -hmm. this whole time where, and we can see how it happens. He's rejected 
because of his birthright, right? He, he is not fully in the community. And they push him out. And then they bring him back in. And in the midst of bringing him back in, I think there's a piece of them that has to say, okay, you don't know that the spirit of the Lord is with me. I know. I know I'm going to win. I'm going to make this big boast. But also, I think because he made the boast, because he made the vow, and also because we know as, the, as modern day readers, he actually doesn't understand who God is. He goes, okay, well, I've done this. I guess I got to follow yeah. through. Mm-hmm. But it's so against everything that God has showed the Israelite people that God is like. Yeah. And yet, that's what the book of Judges is supposed to show us. That the people have moved so far away from who God is like, from what God wants, from who God wants them to be, that in the midst of this, never once can Japheth go, oh, right, God really doesn't like child sacrifice. I probably shouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. He can't see it. He's gone so far down this other side of things. Mm-hmm. He can't see it. And we do stuff like that all the time. Yeah. Right? We, look, at, look at our world today. Look, look just specifically at the country that we live in. When we read the Bible on Sunday morning, we read the Bible on Sunday morning together with millions of Christians across our country. Mm. And yet, the way that we read it and how we interpret it shows who God is very differently in different mm. spaces. So true. That's interesting. And all of us want to make a claim, myself included, well, the way that I'm reading it is the way that God is like. Mm-hmm. And there's a slippery slope there, right? There's a tragic tale there. How do we see what God wants and what God is like? Well, we see it from Scripture. In our United Methodist tradition, we then prop that up, right, with our reason, our tradition, and our experiences. We read Scripture through those lenses, holding Scripture primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that helps us to see things like a difficult passage here, and go, okay, well, this isn't a moral story that says, like, hey, whatever promise you make to God, you better follow through, because even if it's hard, like murdering your kid, you made the promise to God, you should keep it. And I had um, somebody come up to me one time whose child was very sick, and they said, I have been praying nonstop, and the promise that I have made to God is that if they heal my child, I'm going to be at church every Sunday, and I'm telling you because I need you to hold me accountable. And I said, well, I need to tell you that the promise that you're making is one, not necessary, and two, you can't keep it because you're going to get sick. And I got to tell you, it's, it's, at this time it was 2021. I said, in 2021, if you're sick, we really don't want you to come to church. Mm-hmm. Right? You're going to end up in the hospital. You're going to end up needing to go take care of somebody that you love, and you're not going to be able to be there on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, as much as you know, we think that church is important, and, Um, it's okay to miss church on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. Uh, The important part is the faithful way that we live out our relationship. And it's these vows that we make, much like Jay, much like Carol, of of commitments that we make that we feel like we have to keep because all of a sudden our prayer hinges on some vow we've made. Mm -hmm. That is where I think we lose sight of some of this stuff. And that's, again, that slippery slope that leads Mm -hmm. us down. And I think just look viewing that you know, Jay made this commitment and then he, 
you know, said he was going to follow through with it because to him, the heart of God, the relationship with God was transactional. He had made yes. this um, thing and said, I will give you this for this. I will give you a burnt offering of whatever comes out my door for a win when God had already given the win. And we can, we sometimes also continue in harmful patterns that hurt us over and over again. We, I know for myself, um, I like to really, I love to self-sabotage. It's super great. Um, (laughs) and so we continue in these harmful patterns, not even realizing that they're hurting us. And it's only when we come back to ourselves and we learn to heal ourselves and our trauma and come back home to who God is where we can start to actually evaluate, mm-hmm. am I doing the things that I need to do to understand God? Mm-hmm. Um, because really all God wants from us is to live an authentic existence with um, compassion and a broken and contrite heart. And yet we continue in these harmful patterns and and these boasts um, because we continue to think that our relationship with God is transactional. If I go to church, God will heal my child. And God says, absolutely not. This is not how our relationship works. This is a grace-filled, relational thing. It's not not a bartering. Yeah, absolutely not. And there's this piece, too, um, of just the challenges I think we have of the way we think about God. Um, There are so many people that I talk to who really do see the transactional piece because that's the way that they were taught about who God is and how somehow um, there's this holy test that you take throughout your life. God is constantly challenging you and testing you. And if you can't fill in every bubble on the scantron that God has given you, like, man, you failed, mm-hmm. right? It's like, okay, did you go to church at least 48 out of the 52 Sundays? Like, A, yes, B, no, C, well, I tried, right? Um, and you got to fill it out just right. And if somehow, like, when um, Gabriel opens up the book in your name in heaven and puts that scantron through the reader, if it doesn't come out with a high enough score, right, you just failed. And that's transactional. Mm-hmm. But part of the way that they talk about that is not transactional. They talk about faithful. Mm. And so if you are faithful to God, then these good things are going to happen to you. If you're faithful to God, then your child's going to be healed. If you're faithful, and anything bad that happens to you is because of your lack of faith, right? And so the challenge here then, when you get a scripture like we have this morning, Jabeth's faithful, right? He's right there doing exactly what it is God has called him to do. The spirit of God has come to reside with him. In the midst of that, he still makes a really, really, really bad choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you have to say, well, okay, well, God could have made a dog come out of his house first. Mm. Let's go with a chicken. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. A snake. I can can see Laura's making her lunch plans, right? (laughs) Um, and so it's, it's that thing of like, okay, well, where's God in the midst of the story? And part of it is he would have known, right? Jippeth would have known that in their tradition, when, when men come back from war, it is the women who come out first with timbrels and dancing. This is not abnormal. And it is typically the young virgin women who are at the head of the line, right? So he could have expected his daughter to be there first. But I think so often when we make these boasts and challenges, that we're not thinking about 
logic, reason, rational consequences, right? I don't think there's anything in him that was like, okay, so while I am about to make this really cool vow in front of all of my friends, like, let me think about the historic tradition that comes typically when we come home from war, right? He just makes a boast. There's a piece in here, um, I don't know that we have time to dive into it this morning, but what is our free will versus God's choice and God's plan? What is our ability in the midst of the way that we live in the world to make choices? And then how do we then have to live with the consequences of those choices? Because Japheth made a choice, continued to make a choice, um, to follow through with something that we all know God is not like, because we see the reaction in the stories. And yet at the same time, he had the ability to choose that. There's a, another piece of like, well, what was, was that predetermined? Is this just meant to teach Japheth humility, a question, right? I don't believe that. But there's some challenging things in the midst of that as well. Yeah. A lot of theodicy questions here. Why does God allow things to happen, etc.? And I think it's really important to remember that in our reality, bad things happen, and it doesn't mean that God um, caused them to happen. Absolutely. All right. Final thoughts on this very difficult book of Scripture we we dived into this morning. Yeah, I mean, I I think that I really like this idea, sort of as Laura was talking about the fence and about how sometimes in our own lives we can get so far away from the heart of God that we can't even see the fence. And in the middle of that, I started to think about home and coming home. So in my mind, in my mental picture, there's this home and there's this fence around it. And we're so far away. Some of us get so far away. I have, um, that you can't even see the fence. And maybe today, you know, what we do in our mental picture in our head is we just turn around, start walking back towards that fence. Yeah. And so that we can make it, make it home, make it back to, to the heart of God and what God really wants from us. Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, we talked about this last week that, you know, we have mental health resources. So if you are feeling as though you are lost from the heart of God or you are um, not really resonating with your inner voice, your inner divine, um, where God is speaking to you, that there are ways to get back home. There's, There's, you know, meditation and yoga and medication and talk therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy, there are so many things we can do to get back to the heart of God. Small groups, um, Sunday school, I'm going to just name all of them, but there are so many things and I hope that you know that we are here to help you get back home and that's, that's why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the book of Judges is heavy. Um, it's a hard read. But I think one of the important things to remember as you read the book of Judges, which I know some of you will go home and do, um, (laughs) is that um, the book of Judges is supposed to also point us towards King David and the line of David that will come from him, which is the Messianic King. It's the Christ. And so when we read Judges, what we find is that God's people needed saving not from the political enemies that were around them like they thought. They needed saving from themselves because they had spiraled Mm -hmm. so far away from who God was. And the only thing that was gonna provide that redemption was a king. And they think that it's a physical king, a king to sit and to rule 
and to be the next Moses, right? What we see in Judges is a whole lot of people who are just kind of like Moses, but they're not enough. And they think that David is going to fulfill that. David comes in the midst of that, and then we also know that David is inherently flawed, right? We see David also fall from grace. Um, And so what then Judges points us to is this beginning of the sowing of seeds towards the future messianic hope that somehow there will be redemption that will show them who God is. And ultimately, as Christians, we read that future hope in the New Testament and the coming of Christ. And so the, the book of Judges will bother you. That's not a bad thing. If it doesn't bother you, I'd be more concerned. Um, but it should also um, really and truly force us to take a deep look at ourselves, at our world, at the places in which we find ourselves in, and then give us a future forward look towards what it is that God is calling us to be, who God is in the world, and the future of hope that is brought when we all connect together in the light of Christ. Great conversation this morning. Laura, Carol, great to be with you. Um, you. And um, I look forward to our conversation next week as well.